Hello, everyone. I'd like to kick off the podcast with our first paper, which is titled Plant-Derived Exosomal MicroRNAs Shape the Gut Microbiota. This was published in 2018 in Cell, Host, and Microbe by Yun Tang and colleagues out of the University of Louisville. This paper is fascinating. It is a behemoth of a paper. There is sequencing, proteomics, mouse models, clinical trials, metabolism studies, chromatography, electron microscopy. This paper could have easily been three or four papers. Within the last few years, we have learned that diet has a big impact on the microbiome composition and that the microbiome composition has a big impact on health. So naturally, one would think that you could use diet to modulate the microbiome to change health outcomes. And indeed, this has been used a lot. Think fiber, which we humans don't digest but it is a food source for bacteria and can lead to their production of health-promoting molecules like short-chain fatty acids, for example. However, there is a lot more in a plant than fiber. Not only are there micronutrients, but there are also exosomes, which is something that I did not know before reading this paper. So what's an exosome? Exosomes are extracellular vesicles basically a little piece of a cell. It contains proteins, lipids, microRNAs, DNA, RNA. Exosomes are a very hot topic right now because they are able to facilitate communication between cell types and because they can be used as biomarkers for disease. To summarize this work, the authors show that exosomes from plants, like ginger, are taken up by specific bacteria in the gut which depends on the makeup of their membrane. These exosomes can then selectively regulate the microbiota composition in the gut and the localization of the microbes. Importantly, these things can be used to treat IBD in mouse models. Okay, now let's start from the beginning. The first question the authors ask is whether these exosomes that are derived from ginger can regulate the composition of the gut microbiome. So they gave these gels, as they call them, to mice and looked at their poop. Surprisingly, they found changes in the microbiome just from these ginger-derived exosomes. They found more lactobacillaceae and bacteriodalas S24-7 and less clostridaceae. This is interesting because the former are groups of bacteria we generally associate with good health. They are in probiotics, for example. Whereas the latter, Clostridiaceae, we usually associate with poor outcomes. So how exactly are these gels regulating the microbiome? Is it through the RNA that's inside of them? This is the next question that they asked. To address this, they took out the RNA from the gel and created a nanovector with the lipids and then put that RNA in there to isolate the effect of the RNA and get rid of all the other stuff that exists in these exosomes. This is a really clever way to control for confounding variables. And they found that indeed the RNA is responsible for this change in composition. This was done in mice, which is all well and good, but 
what happens in a mouse doesn't necessarily happen in a human. So the authors did a clinical trial. They recruited 58 volunteers and fed them these ginger exosomes for a week and then did 16S rRNA sequencing on their fecal samples. Interesting to note that this clinical trial was done in China, not the institution where the remainder of the experiments were done, perhaps for IRB reasons. Nevertheless, their findings were consistent with mice. They again saw increased lactobacillaceae, increased bacteriodaceae and bacteriodalis 24-7, and decreased clusteriodaceae. So, in this case, the mouse model findings do translate to humans. The authors then go on to tackle the mechanism. How are these gel RNAs able to regulate microbiome composition? Perhaps they regulate bacteria gene expression. The authors first wanted to show that the gels could be taken up by lactobacillus. And they indeed show that they are selectively taken up by LGG, which is lactobacillus rhamnosus. In order to investigate this mechanism, the authors performed mass spectrometry, which gave them a deep understanding of the lipids that these exosomes are composed of. Interestingly, depending on the plant source of the exosome, the lipid membrane was enriched with different lipids. The ginger exosomes were enriched with phosphatidic acids, whereas exosomes derived from grapefruit were enriched in phosphatidylcholine. Given that the gels are selectively taken up by LGG, they thought maybe the phosphatidic acid is the signal that induces their uptake. So what they did was test the uptake with and without the phosphatidic acid. And when there was no phosphatidic acid, surprise, surprise, the LGG wasn't as able to take up the gels. Amazing. Conversely, in the grapefruit exosomes, depleting the phosphatidylcholine reduced their uptake into the ruminococcaceae, which they are selectively able to target. This stuff is super cool. To make it even more interesting, they show that the lipid makeup of the exosome determines which tissue it migrates to. Phosphatidic acid goes to the intestines, whereas phosphatidylcholine goes to the liver. Wow, that is a super cool finding. So we know that these plant-derived exosomes are able to be taken up by these specific bacteria and that this uptake depends on their lipid content. But how does their uptake affect the bacteria? They address this with RNA sequencing and mass spec to see the overall transcriptome and the overall proteome of LGG that had taken up the ginger exosomes. A gene called LexA was reduced with exosome treatment. LexA is a transcriptional repressor. So if you reduce a transcriptional repressor, you increase transcription which could be the mechanism by which these bacteria are increasing in number. In order to corroborate this, the authors did something really cool. They blasted the LexA mRNA sequence against all of the sequences of the RNAs in the gels and found that, indeed, the LexA matched up with a specific microRNA in the gel. 
And in case you aren't familiar with microRNAs, these are known to inhibit the translation of RNAs. The authors confirmed this by giving the microRNA to isolated LGG, and they grew faster. Okay, so the big question at this point is, what does this all mean for the host? The authors addressed this with a irritable bowel disease model and gave the mice gels and found that it was protective. Fascinating. Importantly, the authors showed that it's not just the gel that is required, but the LGG, because when they do the experiment in germ-free mice that don't have LGG, there is no reduction in disease severity. This was yet another very clever study design by these authors. After finding this, the authors decided to investigate yet another mechanism. How is the host being protected? They found that the gels inhibited the production of pro-inflammatory cytokines and increased the production of protective cytokines like IL-22. IL-22 is a cytokine released by T-cells and ILC3s that induces the reformation of the gut barrier, and it would be protective because it would eliminate bacteria from getting in. So how does the IL-22 get upregulated? There is a protein called the aryl hydrocarbon receptor that is an environmental sensor and has recently been shown to induce IL-22 production. So the authors knocked out IL-22, eliminated it so it's not a factor, and found that the changes in cytokines were no longer there. So this tells us that AHR is necessary for IL-22 induction in this model. The authors then went through a whole series of experiments to investigate how the microRNA from the gels leads to the IL-22 production by the host. To summarize this mechanism that they discovered, they found that tryptophan, an amino acid, can be metabolized two different ways. It can turn into I3A, indole-3-carboxaldehyde, or indole-3-acetamide. I3A then goes on to induce AHR and later IL-22 in the host. They found that the gel RNAs block the conversion to I3AM and shunt the tryptophan to the I3A AHR IL-22 pathway. Further, they found that I3AM itself inhibits the conversion from tryptophan to I3A. So the gels not only put the gas on the tryptophan to I3A protective pathway, but they take the brakes off of the repressive I3AM pathway. That's a super cool finding. These gels are pushing this protective pathway in multiple ways. It's almost like they were designed for this. The authors show that the IL-22 itself is necessary for the protective effect by knocking it out. After all of this, the authors decided to look at another mechanism. If we take a look back at the RNA sequencing and proteomics on the gel-treated LGG, we'll see that there is a protein called SPAC, I'll call it SPAC, that was downregulated with treatment. This is a PILUS-specific protein. 
this suggested that the Jones may be regulating migration. They did a bunch of studies and showed that the ability for these bacteria to get into the bloodstream was dependent upon SPAC. The number of mechanisms by which these Jones are protective against colitis is nothing short of amazing. To summarize this truly outstanding paper, the authors showed that plants make exosomes and that depending upon which plant the exosome comes from, the exosome will have a different lipid content of its membrane and that this lipid content dictates not only which bacteria will take up the exosome, but also where that exosome will traffic in the body. Once taken up by the specific bacteria that the exosome is selective for, it will regulate specific bacterial genes. In the case of LGG, it regulates LEX-A in order to induce the bacteria's proliferation, YNCE to induce the bacteria's production of I3A, which then goes on to activate the host's AHR pathway and induce IL-22 production, which protects the host from tissue damage and bacteremia. The exosomes also protect from bacteremia by a second mechanism, which is through downregulation of the SPAC protein on the pilus thereby preventing the bacteria from migrating. This was a very thought-provoking report. It makes me think of so many additional questions. Can we use plants to treat disease? Wouldn't it be cool if we could use food as medicine? Does this mean that the old wives' tale of drinking ginger ale for an upset stomach may actually have some validity? I think so. I think this study is just going to open the floodgates of nutritional immunology and microbiology. I would love for there to one day be a protocol or cookbook for things to eat for specific medical conditions that could be used in conjunction with pharmacological intervention, surgical intervention, etc. This paper not only has big implications in terms of nutrition, but also for biotechnology. One of the big issues in drug development of RNA therapy is delivery. It is very difficult to get these things to where we want them to go. This work suggests that exosomes may be a good vehicle as we could engineer their lipids to direct their localization. Further, this could be used for treatment of infection potentially. One of the large unanswered questions in microbiome research is how to selectively target certain bacteria. We use antibiotics which wipe out all of the gut flora and have side effects. This work suggests that perhaps we could use exosomes and microRNAs to selectively deplete or selectively enrich bacteria to improve disease outcomes. While the findings of this paper are super cool, 
there are some questions that I still have. How much ginger would I need to eat to see this sort of physiological effect? How would these perform in human patients with IBD compared to the standard of care or in conjunction with the standard of care? Overall, though, still very cool paper. A lot of work went into this and I think we learned a lot going through it. We could spend a lot more time if we wanted to get into the nitty gritty, but I think what we've done thus far should suffice. Thank you all for listening. Please write a review. Tell us what you think. We'd love your feedback. We'll see you next time.